right, we're going to be in session five, God Shapes, God is in control, shaping people for his purposes. We'll be in Jeremiah 18, 1 to 12. We will uh, consider this question. What is the difference between authority and power? I think authority is granted to you. Okay, authority is granted to you. Go ahead. Um, authority usually uses power to do what it's going to do. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Authority has a legitimate reason to use power, where power for itself is, to me, more often self-centered. Okay. It can corrupt. Power can corrupt. In the ancient world, and in, in many of the third world currently, um, Power is what determines authority, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Might makes right, um, and all that. Whereas in particularly the Western world, power really has no bearing. Authority does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we look at our, our Congress. It's made up of, you know. Old people. Old people. <laughs> I was trying to find a delicate way to say it. But the people sitting in our Congress really have no power, do they? They have authority that we've granted to them through an election. Even though we think we want to change it frequently. Right? They think, well, right, but they think they have power. They act like they have power, but they only have authority. The Western world has forgotten kind of what uh, power looks like. We, we understand only authority, and so we, we look at society. I mean, and, and this is what happens. I mean, look at Russia. The government there during the Soviet Union was the few, the minority, but they had all the authority. The people could have, at any point, overthrown their government and because they have the power. The numbers are on their side. That's why uh, England was so surprised when we, re when we rebelled and we held the revolution. And they thought just because they, they were the king that he could just decide anything he wanted and uh, not. And we showed them otherwise, right? Hmm. So authority says I have the right to do something, I have the. That's my. That's what I'm supposed to do. Whereas power says I have the ability to do it. As we come into Jeremiah, chapter 18, we're going to see um, the ancient world at the time of Jeremiah did not understand who God was because they had begun worshiping. Idols. Idols have what? Nothing. Well, they have nothing. That's true. So then what is it that they have? Why do they get to say how to live your life? Authority. That's granted to them by the people that worship. This is the absurdity of, of false religion. It has no power. And it's granted authority by the people that do the worshiping. This, this is, I mean, you, the authority is granted because I decide to bow down to this piece of stone or whatever. It's true with all false religions. So we in this country tend to worship um, sports personalities. We, we spend gobs of money to buy all the memorabilia, jerseys and footballs and whatnot. We grant them the power. If we didn't decide we like them, are they very likable? No. I mean, I read the art, the news all the time about this one who 
beat up his girlfriend or that, and yet they're still making millions. Why? It's because we've granted the authority to them. They're, they've become important. The same is true in Jeremiah's day. I mean, they went out, they found a piece of stone, and they carved it. And then they bowed down to it and, and did whatever it said, which it didn't say anything. <laughs> Somebody made it up, but, oh, we're, we're going to live that way because he says so. Same is true, piece of wood. Chop half the log in half, cook your dinner on it, the other half, make it look like something and, and bow down and worship it. Power and authority. As we look at this this morning, we need to roll back because we're going to be in chapter 18. So we got to pick this up where we left off last week to start in chapter 13. And uh, the rest of chapter 13, or were we in 12? We were in 12 last week. Um, we move into chapter 13 and we get the... Uh, it's not really a parable because it's something he actually does. The illustration, we'll call it an illustration, of the ruined loincloth. Jeremiah is commanded by God to go and buy a new loincloth, or underwear, if you will. Um, and then he's told to go and uh, bury it. And then they waited, I, we don't know how long, but my guess is months, and go dig it up again. And the whole thing is ruined. That rotted because um, fine material that they used for that just doesn't do well in the dirt. And Jeremiah exclaims that this is useless. And God says, yes, just like uh, Judah is. Then he talks about being filled with drunkenness. And that it, Judah is, is like a drunk man and there's a whole explanation there. And he says, God tells him that, that this is why he's going to exile them. He's going to kick them out and all that. So these are, it's a whole chapter of illustrations. If you haven't read them this week, go back and read them this week. Um, we move on to chapter 14. And God proclaims famine and the sword and pestilence is coming um, on the people of Judah because of what they're doing. You know, it's like God keeps warning them. I feel like I'm a broken record, you know. It's over and over again. But th this is God's long-suffering. Remember how long Jeremiah prophesied for before God did all of this, and he's not the first prophet. Uh, then he says he's going to deal with the lying prophets because Jeremiah's going around saying, God is sending famine, he's sending the sword, he's sending pestilence. You're going to be punished, and all these prophets are going... No, 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 it's all going to be good. Baal told me. Astaroth says this, and God's like, I didn't send them, and I'm going to deal with them. And he lists off what he's going to do to these guys who are false prophets. It isn't going to be pretty either. Mm -hmm. Chapter 15, um, we see that God will not relent in these. He is going to bring judgment. And we see that Jeremiah complains. Why will they not listen? Why will they not pay attention? I think in Jeremiah 13, I mean, we see here in 15, he complains. Jeremiah 13, verse 10, Jer he puts it this way. This evil people, this is God, who refuses to hear my word, who stubbornly follow their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. The people of Judah are going to be good for nothing. Over and over and over again, he's, he keeps telling them, and they won't listen. We move on to chapter 16. Once again, God proclaims famine, the sword, death. Listen, pay attention. Do you not know what's coming? He also proclaims a time to restore. That there will be a chance for Judah again. But ain't anytime soon. Chapter 17, he begins listing off the sins of Judah. Why am I bringing this? 
I mean, this is chapter after chapter after chapter. God says, let me, let me break it down for you real easy. Here's your sins, Judah. This is what you've done. He finishes up with this command. Keep the Sabbath holy. The simplest thing, take a day off. Stop doing what you're doing on, sun, on the Sabbath. Rest. I mean, can you imagine? You're telling the people to, to rest, and they're like, no, we're not doing that. We're gonna, we want an extra day of work. I mean, I'm like, please, stop not happy to do it. But these people are so belligerent that they won't take a day off. How ridiculous, right? Absolutely. All right, any questions as we catch up to chapter 18 here? God's telling us to take a day off, and then Jesus comes and performs many miracles on the Sabbath. Right. And got in trouble with all this. Sadducees and all that. It just it just makes me chuckle. Yeah, yeah. Well, they wouldn't do. They they took the day off to the ex, to the exclusion of doing anything good right. either. Yeah. yeah, they learned their lesson, <laughs> but they, they learned they, it too much. Did they learn their lesson? No, not really. <laughs> they didn't understand. All right, Jer Jer <clears throat> excuse me. Jeremiah chapter eighteen uh, verses one to four. Somebody read those for us. A word came. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Okay. Um, I'm not a fan of the translation here. Because it's not clear. The potter is working at his wheel and the vessel was spoiled. But the way this is worded in our English is not clear to what the issue is. The potter didn't ruin the vessel. There's nothing wrong with the potter's skill. The problem is, is that the clay had defects in it, which was not unusual. Understand that... Our modern-day clay is processed. Back then, the potters, they worked, their sheds were down by the water where clay could be found, and they would go out and they would scoop up clay and bring it up and put it on the wheel and start forming it. It wasn't processed. So if you scoop up raw clay, what, what can you find in the raw clay? Rocks. Rocks, dirt. Debris. Bugs. Bugs. So when you start working it, that's how you refine it. They start shaping that into whatever it's going to be, whatever vessel it is. And then it's, oh, look at this. It's got a stone here. So you pluck the stone out, smoosh the clay back up, and start again. Oh, look, now i got this worm, okay, and all that. The, the issue is the clay. The clay is not pure. It has defects in it. And so what we have here is the potter is working. The potter isn't the problem. The clay is the problem. And it needs to be reshaped because it has to be cleansed and purified. Because this is a, an analogy for what we're going to see in the next section. Um, or the, re huh? the revised King James has the clay was marred. The clay was marred. Okay, there you go. See, that's it. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that translation of this. Uh, it's not clear. Well, we're that clay. We're not there yet. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just hang on. I mean, I'm just... You're, you're getting ahead. You're reading too far ahead. We're only in verse 4. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> let, me finish with, let me finish with verse 4. All right, so here we are. We're still in part 2. Or of our outline, Jeremiah calls for repentance. This is still the process. God is calling for Israel or Judah to uh, repent. And we see here that the potter is able to remake whatever it is he's remaking, the dish, the bowl, the, the vessel. The potter can remake the clay. This is the illustration. We see that the clay has impurities and that the issue is not with the potter. The issue is with the clay. 
And it needs to be purified, doesn't it? I mean, would you want to drink out of a, a mug that had uh, been fired with a worm in it? As long as it's been cooked. But you want to drink out of that where you can see the the burnt body of the worm in your mug? No. It's color. It's adds color. Okay. Adds I'll get you one, Kim. <laughs> you know what we're having for dinner tonight. Alright, so we I'll see that the, the potter can remake the clay. Is he really making the clay, or is he just making the bowl or something? Right, he's making that. He's not making the clay. He's well, remaking. You said they're remaking the clay, so I, I, I Well, he's, he's reworking the clay. That's yeah. more better. <laughs> Jeremiah 18, <laughs> 5 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if that it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. This whole idea is not just found here in Jeremiah, is it? Clay is an interesting concept. I want to look at the word as, as it's used here uh, for a minute. Let's talk about clay. Clay is an interesting substance. It's not dirt. It's Call not it dirt and it went away. Yeah. <laughs> clay is not dirt. It's a, uh, it, it, you can't, you have to have, you can't just go out there and grab dirt, add water, and mold it, can you? No. No, you have to actually get clay itself. Mm -hmm. um, but it is common. I mean, pottery, ancient pottery has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Man has been making things. I mean, they made bricks out of clay, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so clay is, uh, is not a new substance or anything. Um, but we see here in Genesis chapter to verse 7. The idea for this starts all the way back in chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The idea that, that from the ground, the dirt, clay, he forms man. Um, that's our first use of uh, the idea of this. We move on. Isaiah is going to talk about it. Chapter 45, verse 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Does, does the clay get the chance to talk to the potter? No. No. Uh, again, Isaiah uses this. And remember, Isaiah was prophesied, died 40 years before Jeremiah. So this idea is, is a long-running idea in Scripture. Isaiah 46, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. clay, and you are our potter. We are all the works of your hand. Um. This idea that Jeremiah is using, we're, we're but clay to God. Um, one last one, because this it, it goes into the New Testament, Romans chapter 9. Paul tells us in verses 20 and 21, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? 
Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another from dishonorable use? This is the whole idea that God has not only the authority to do what he wants, um, he has the power behind it to shape, to mold. And this is what he's trying to communicate with Jeremiah. Um, that he has the power. These idols, these gods have none. They can't mold Israel. They can't do anything for Israel. But also we ourselves do not. We are the clay. We are the lump. He moves, molds us. The idea that God the potter and man the clay is found throughout Scripture. I mean, these are just a few selected verses, but you can chase this through Scripture, this idea. God's in charge. So what we have here is the sovereign over clay is God, right? The potter, whoever it is. Israel does not want to do what God says to do, does he? Does it? No. They, they have a real hard time following the rules. And the rules were for their best intention. Because God knows how the world works. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with you. God can remake Israel. He can remake Judah any way he wants. And he's remaking them. He is moving them towards destruction. It didn't happen overnight, did it? God constantly is telling them, it's going to get bad if you don't listen, if you don't change. He goes on in this and he says that I can remake any nation. Which is interesting because isn't he just the God of Israel? No, see, and that's the thing. He uses other nations. He used Assyria to punish the northern kingdom. He molded them into the greatest nation on the earth for the purpose of punishing the northern kingdom. And then he destroyed them. And they were taken over by the Babylonians. And now Nebuchadnezzar is being crafted and molded to serve God's purpose. And this is the time period that that's happening. And Nebuchadnezzar's army is growing and his influence is, is growing. His army is marching across the lands and conquering them, which is expanding his power and his ability. Um, and we know what's going to happen, right, with Nebuchadnezzar. We studied Daniel a while back. I think it was last winter or summer or something like that. Nebuchadnezzar says, it's all about me, right? And God says, yeah, okay, no, it isn't. <laughs> and he turned him into a beast. Yep. But he's growing and, and being molded and crafted by God for the purpose of punishing Judah and destroying Jerusalem. And God keeps saying, I I'm going to do it. So he molds and crafts other nations. Does he do that today? Was Ben Laden molded and crafted in order to humble us? We don't like to think that way, do we? No. But it's entirely possible. I don't think it's entirely possible. I think it is. Okay. That, that was the, that, that's the point. Now, maybe the point may not have been to humble us. It may have been something else. Nothing happens in this world that he hasn't crafted. If he's sovereign, he uses us the way he wants to use us, but he also uses us in, with the way we are. This is, remember last week, what, what was Jeremiah's complaint last week? last week's lesson. God is exclusive. God is exclusive. 
We need to be exclusive with him. Exclusivity is only one way, though, right? He doesn't just work on us. See, that's not what we think. Oh, he's God, and I'm a Christian, therefore he does. He works in my life. But does he work in other people's lives who aren't Christians? Yes. <clears throat> See, that exclusivity is only one way. We're exclusive with him. We don't have other gods. This is Israel's problem. They don't think that God is, is God over any other nations. That's why they don't fear. Oh, we're gods. Yeah, but God, God works in all those nations too. We have to remember he is sovereign over all the events, all the countries, all the peoples in the world. And he is molding them. The week before last week, Jeremiah was complaining that the people are, uh, that the, you know, the evil people are prospering. Does God allow that? Is God molding those people? Well, how's that fair? If he's sovereign over all the clay, and he's the potter, and he's making it. How is that fair? Well, if we were one of them, we'd want him to do that. Well, sure we would. <laughs> he's got a purpose, though, right? We, we read, Paul explains it. He crafts some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes, right? The jar that carries the water that they use for wash, all those ceremonial washings, is that, that's all that jar does. It's sacred. It's set apart. It's special. And then the jars that look just like it, they're the poop jars. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, who decides which one's which? See, that's, that, this, is, this is where it becomes reality, our beliefs. And it's not just this high idea, oh, yeah, God's in charge. And all. It, it, it's got to come down. The people who are doing evil in the world have been molded that way. Because they want to be that. And so God says, okay. Like Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't want to let the people go. And Moses said, you're going to have a plague. And then Pharaoh said, okay. And then he said, nah, nah, nah. I was only lying. I was kidding. And this goes on and on for several plagues until it finally gets to the point that Pharaoh says no. And God says, okay, that's the way it's going to be. You're going to be that way. You're going to see this all the way through. And he, and he hardened. It says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. My guess is, is that after whatever plague number that was, he might have relented. But God said, no, mm -mm. I'm using you for this purpose. The world is going to learn about how great I am and you're the vessel because you didn't obey the first time. And maybe the second, third, I don't remember which one it is, but somewhere along there, God said, nope, you're, you're going the distance. And he molds Pharaoh, hardens his heart so that he won't give up. And goes all the way to plague 10. He was molded, wasn't he? The potter decided this is what you're going to be. Gave him the choice. See, this is where that whole free will, God's sovereignty thing came in. Pharaoh could have said yes the first time. They could have gone. And God knew he wouldn't. <laughs> and at some point, God said, okay, this is it. This is the way it's going to be now. You made your choice. I gave you the option once, twice. I don't, like I said, I don't know how many it was. But now this is the way it's going to be. You're, you're stuck. Either for good or bad, God molds people. And the molded people are used the way God needs to use them. God is molding Babylon to come and sack Judah. But after they do that, God promises they'll be punished for it. Now, how's that fair? That's a whole other discussion, isn't it? <laughs> but these are questions that we should be wrestling with. If God is sovereign and he does this, but yet we still have the free will. See, it does work together. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to make that choice, does he? 
but he does. And God says, okay, I'm going to use that. That's what you want to be. That's fine. I've got a use for that. I've got a purpose in the world. And we're seeing it in our modern world. We, we've got these politicians who are horrible. They lie, cheat, steal, and do all that. I don't know why. But God's using them. They've been molded to be that way. I mean, some of these guys have been in politics a long, long time, right? Mm -hmm. And we keep looking and saying, well, we just got, we got to change this, but it isn't changing. Why is it that they keep getting reelected? Because people are the way they are. And God says, this is what you want. Okay. This is what you're going to get. That's why our world is the way it is. Because this is what people want. And God says, you don't want me? Okay. I mean, we've seen it, haven't we? Most of you in here remember, we're, we're probably almost adults, when they said, hey, you know what, no more Bible reading in schools. Mm -hmm. that, that's wrong. It's not a separation of church and state. Yeah. God says, you want a separation of church and state? Okay, fine. Then it's no more prayer. Now we have them suing the coaches who, you know, they take a knee and pray right before the game. And it's not even mandatory or anything. Just a couple of players. And the coach, and the coach gets sued, fired, canned. And everything else. Because, oh, no, you can't do that. Because our world says, we, we don't want that. We don't want God involved in this. God says, okay, that's fine. Until 9-11 happens. Right, then 9-11 happens. And the prayer is everywhere, right? Yeah. And then they peter out. And then it peters out. God's sovereign, though. He has the ability to reform it. But he reforms it the way that we want to be. He doesn't change our nature until we accept him, right? That's the whole point, Paul says. We accept Christ and we get the Holy Spirit and our nature changes to be like him. He doesn't force it. He doesn't say, okay, I came into the world, now all of you get the Holy Spirit, you don't have any choice, you're going to march to my tune, right? Yeah. We have to want that. We have to want to be with him. That's he what he's trying to find. This is really a giant sieve, isn't it? All of history is a sieve for God to find the people who will choose him over themselves. Because we go back to the garden. Adam and Eve had God. They had unfettered access. Physically, he walked and talked with him in the garden. They could ask him anything. They could have the perfect relationship. And they said, no, we want to be like gods ourselves. God said, all right, there you go. Let's run this out and we'll find the ones who will choose me. And I'll bring them to me. And those who don't want me, I'm going to cast off because they don't want me. They want no parts of me. And they can have what they want and they're going to go. See, that's, the, that's really what the choice is, isn't it? And Jeremiah is... Uh, Telling us that God has the sovereignty, the power, and the authority. Pharaoh got five chances. Pharaoh got five chances. Five out of ten. After the fifth plague, he hardened his heart. God. Five chances! How many of us have given our children five chances not to do the right thing before we, we brought punishment? <laughs> talking back to you. Stop talking back to me. Stop talking back to them. We, we, we don't give them five chances, do we? Mm -mm. Yeah, no. It's interesting. Comments, questions before we move on. Deep stuff. Mm -hmm. All from an illustration. All right. Jeremiah chapter 18, 11 through 12. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, What that that is in vain, we will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? I love this verse 12. But they say that is in vain. It's useless to follow God's way. <laughs> I mean, it's God. First of all, this is the 
only God that actually communicates with people. All the other ones, you know, the, the idea was you had to appease him, make him happy. You didn't want him to react, so you did whatever it was that you were supposed to do. You brought the sacrifice so that the God wouldn't act because it wouldn't be beneficial to you. Here's the God who's done nothing but look out for you. Brought you into a land, milk and honey, made you prosperous, and all that. And they say, well, it's in vain to serve God. What are you talking about? Isn't it amazing how stupid we are? <laughs> you feel like want an answer? God warns. What God warns? I mean, if you, I don't know if you've studied mythology. I love reading about other religions and the gods and all that, whether current day or, or ancient world. And the gods never warn. They're arbitrary. They just decide to do stuff. I mean, they have their prescribed, you know, here's my feast days, and you celebrate them and all that. But, you know, Zeus gets up on the wrong side of the bed, has a fight with Hera. <laughs> he takes it out on the people. And they're all like, what did we do wrong? I mean, these are the stories. But here's the God. He's constantly warning, hey, straighten up. Do what I've told you. Look, there's the rules. Follow the rules. Nothing will happen. If you don't, I'm going to have to punish you. Just worship me. And when you look at the rules, they're for our benefit, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody has lived a terrible life and followed the moral code God gave us, does it? It isn't. It's not a terrible life. We view it and go, oh, but there's no fun in that. How is it not, you know, oh, I only had one wife. I didn't get to sleep with all the women in town. <coughs> and we think that's terrible. But then you have people that have been married 40, 50, 60 years, and it's like they, they all that, you know, they're like, wow, we had a great life. Okay. What did you do about it? Did you find a way to work together and to be peaceful with each other? I mean, maybe maybe somebody lives that long and just doesn't, it's so pig-headed they don't give it up and they still fight and argue and I don't know. But God warns them. Other gods don't warn, they just respond. He says, prepare for judgment. He's even telling them, look, get ready. This is what's going to happen. I am shaping the sword is coming for you. He tells them what's going to happen if they don't change. He says, I'll even re I'll relent if you repent. And what's the people's response? <laughs> I'll do it my way. Oh, Frank Sinatra there. <coughs> Isn't that just like us? That's the song we sing in hell. I, yeah, I get it my way. It is. It's the, it's the cry for hell. But that's what we do, don't we? I don't want to do this thing, God. I don't want to serve that way. I don't want to bow the knee in this instance or in this thing. And we come up with a better plan. I've got an idea. I've got a, a, a better idea than God. How would he know? He's not here right now, right? We do all these mental gymnastics. We know what God wants us to do. Like, eh, I don't think so. And it may just be that instant. Stop and think about it. You make a choice not to do it. I'm not going to go to Sunday school today. I'm not going to go to church. I just don't feel like it. But somewhere in your mind, you know that you're supposed to and you make a mental choice. Now, maybe you had a plan. <clears throat> you were going to go on vacation or whatever. Okay, that's one thing. But that, that momentary incident, yeah, I don't feel like doing what it is that I know I should be doing. And we go through an instant of mental gymnastics that comes down to it. I'm, I'm going to do it my way. It's the way I know God wants me to do. That little still voice is there. And it, it nags at you. And then you make a choice to do it my way. And it just kind of goes away, doesn't it? Okay, do what you want to do. See, that's where God gives us our head and says, you know, you, you want to follow your path. I've got mine. But God is sovereign, and he's forming us. And when that becomes our habit, it begins to form us differently. 
dealings with men have always been conditional. Only in a few instances has he imposed his will on men. God has always offered that choice. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will make you so amazing and all that. If you leave your land, leave your family, and go somewhere that I'm going to show you. It's conditional. God didn't make him do it, did he? Abraham had to choose. And we see this time and time again. God obviously, if you will be my people and follow my words and all that. And they all stood at Mount Sinai and said, we will. For us and all our offspring to come. God said, all right, we now have a covenant. The few instances where he's imposed his will on men and we had no choice, creation. God didn't offer us any, anything, did he? He created us. You don't get a choice of whether to be born or not, do you? Your parents decide. You know that a few years ago there was a guy in India suing his parents because they didn't consult him yeah. about being born. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. There was an that There was a whole... Guy sued his parents yeah. because he wasn't consulted. He didn't want to be born. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's the mentality that we have in this world. That I have. God, how could you give birth to me, Mom? I didn't want to be here. Should have left me where I was. Well, yeah. I mean, even the reincarnation. So. Well, yeah. That, well, that, yeah, that goes into the whole thing. But that's one of the few instances God said, there's going to be people, and you're going to be here, and you're going to be born. Everything else, you can make a decision. The flood, there, there was no repentance that was going to bring that about. God, God determined that, this, that the people were so evil, there was no hope for them, and he floods them. Noah preached repentance. Nobody listened. Nobody paid any attention. But God was not, there, there was no conditional element there. God was just going to flood the world. Adam and Eve didn't get any either. They chose the sin and God kicked them out. There was no, well, if you repent, I'll let you stay in the garden. No, you sinned, you're out. And they were kicked out. But that, those are the fewest of instances, isn't it? Everywhere else as we read through scripture, God offers a choice. You can have me in whatever capacity he was offering himself if you do this, or you can choose not to. I, I find it interesting, and I, I, like to, I like to sit with my brother on the deck late at night, and we have these armchair conversations. How many people did God offer the deal that he offered to Abraham before somebody took it? You ever think about that? We have no idea. We don't know if it was just Abraham or others were offered the same thing. And they said, no, I won't leave. Now, God would know, so he probably didn't. But God had a look at all the people that were alive. And looked to see, and he would know which one would, would be. And he came to Abraham and he says, he makes this offer to Abraham. But God had a look to find the right guy. It's interesting, isn't it, when you think about it? Nobody else was offered it because they all would have rejected it. It was only it's Abraham. That's just mind-boggling. I, I love to sit and think through things like that. It's deep because it talks about how we are as people, as men. Comments, questions? I think the same would be true of um, Mary. Sure. Well, and Joseph, because Joseph had to accept her, yeah. her story. Think about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a child. It's going to be supernatural. And you've got to live with the shame the rest of your life. And Joseph's got to live with it, too, because he's got to take you as, wow. How many did God, I mean, God didn't, he had to look through all the people that were alive that, were, that met the, the specifics that he needed. Yeah, wow. Were the women back, were the girls back then hoping to be the blessed mother? No, like, no. Did they that, that, that's a Catholic idea. Oh, okay. That, the Catholics make that out, okay. that they were all hoping. It's, it, no, the, the idea okay. that they would be the, the, no, none of them, they didn't think that way. 
That's why nobody was nobody was wanting the Messiah when he shows up. They, they weren't. They, they wanted somebody like themselves who would become the Messiah, who would be a Pharisee or somebody like that. That's that's what they were looking for was somebody like themselves, and not this. Uh, what you mean that, that this Messiah was going to be a baby? It's it's just like in Hollywood. You know, we watch the movies, the great heroes and all that that we have in the. They never are like real people, are they? You ever watch that superhero movies? No. When do they sleep? They never sleep in the movies, do they? I mean, that's boring movieness anyway. I mean, what's what you guys sleep? But they never sleep. They they very rarely ever eat. They never go to the bathroom. They never have a, you know anything like that, unless it's a comedy, you know, and then it's just to make fun of them. But. You know, and that's that's the kind of same thing. They, they they were looking for somebody who would just be an adult, and he would show up, and it would be one of them. They hoped it would be them, but that it was as an adult, that not that they would have to come through all that came with it. So here's a bit of doctrine. God is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. The creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. That's who he is. I think we uh, often forget that's who he is. We like to think of him as personal. He's my personal God. We like to think of him as the redeemer. Yes, he's, he's redeemed me. I belong to him. We might even like thinking that he's our preserver. And all that, but uh, we don't usually think of him as intelligent, do we? Especially when we want to do something that goes against him. Uh, what does God know? We certainly don't think of him as spiritual. We don't think of him as in those ways. We don't want to think of him as that because that puts him way out there. We like to think of God as being a little more than we are. You know, he's like that great-great-grandfather who's still alive, and he's wise and benevolent and takes care of us, and, you know, it's all that. And he's kind of nice and, and all that, but we, we don't want to think that God could freeze the universe for just as long as he wants. Just stop it in its tracks, and we wouldn't know any better. We wouldn't know any different. We don't like to think of how actual intelligent he is as he looks for the one person in the entire world at that moment that'll choose him. Because that means that he knew that all the rest of them wouldn't choose him. That, that's, so that means all those people were destined to hell because they won't choose him. Ooh, that, that, that's striking close to home. We don't like to think that way. But this is him. This is God. Intelligent, spiritual, personal, the creator, redeemer, preserver, ruler of the universe. He rules it because he has the authority to rule it. He has the right. He granted it to himself because he has the power over the universe. See, this is where power and authority comes together. In our world, it very rarely comes together, does it? Very rarely does somebody have both the power and the authority to rule. Because somebody has to give authority. In God's case, it's his power that gives him the authority to rule. Because he made everything. It belongs to him. That's his authority. We don't like to think that way because we belong to him. We like to think that we belong to ourselves. But I don't belong to myself, do I? I don't belong to the President of the United States. He belongs to us, right? And our whole democratic process is, is that we elect people to serve and represent us. We, we, we have. We have forgotten that. Uh, but the king, where did the king's authority come from? Well, they, some of them would think from God. Yes. The, the, the nobility of Europe believed that they were given the right from God to rule. They believed that they were different than the serfs. Yeah. That they had been elevated by God, and that's why they needed the church's approval and all that. But their authority came from him. 
They just didn't acknowledge his authority over themselves. Because God says, I raise up the kings anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So it does. All works together. Comment, question. No? Go ahead, Carl. I had a comment. Um, you know, when um, Elijah was, was uh, going off the scene and he was going to, uh, God told him to go to Elisha, and, and he also told him to go anoint some other kings, but they were Gentile kings. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like from Syria and stuff like that. Yeah. So God's the one that anoints and gives uh, authority and power. Yeah, he does. He nobody nobody does anything that he hasn't approved of. I mean, is there anything that that, that God doesn't allow to happen that happens? <laughs> if God didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't happen, would it? He's allowing it for some reason because he's molding things. We just can't see can't see the future. Everybody was glad Assyria was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylon, but nobody could see where Babylon was going to go and what was going to happen with them. All right, a couple things to take with us. First of all, God designs his people to fit his plan and purpose. He designs all people, and they all play into his plan. But his people, he's got a specific plan for and he's designing them for it. Secondly, God has the right and the power to forgive those who repent and judge those who do not. And the last part of that is the one that we struggle with because we don't want anybody to be judged. Because we've all got friends and family who are rejecting God right now. And that they're going to be judged. But that's, the, that's God's right. He has the power and the right to do that. We need to remember that. And lastly, God calls his people to repent and allow him to change their lives. We are called to repentance for the purpose of changing our lives to be more like Christ. That's what we're being called to do. If our repentance is not for the purpose of becoming more Christ-like, then it's not really repentance. It's just that we're sorry we got caught. Let's take that with us this week. Lord, it's a hard lesson. It was a hard lesson in Jeremiah's day, and it's a hard lesson today for us who are so steeped in our self-centeredness. We don't want you to be in charge of us. We want to think that we are in charge and we allow you to work in our lives. But Lord, we know that you work in our lives whether we want it or not. Sometimes you just let us run in our sin. Lord, help us. Help us to acknowledge you and that we repent in order to be more like you. Help us to do that this week in Jesus' name. Thank mm -hmm. you.